So next week, we're going to pick right back up with the John W. Taylor story with Michael Ness. But for this week's episode, I thought, you know, let's lighten the mood a little bit. Let's do something and study about something really light and lighthearted like, I don't know, last day's events. Okay, it's not really lighthearted, but I find it super interesting. No matter who I talk to, folks from the LDS Church, Mormon Fundamentalists, Baptists, Lutherans, or Catholics, one thing seems to be very evident, and that is as if we are even a little bit tuned into God, we have a sense that society and the world are hurtling towards an event that feels like it's picking up speed and intensity. Now, if we are a religion that focuses on Jesus Christ, our minds naturally and rightfully so turn to a second coming. Today on the podcast, I have on Morgan Philpot. Morgan is a former attorney and Utah legislator. Because he has been in these circles, and is also a devout follower of the Savior, he has some pretty interesting insights. Morgan has put together a really compelling timeline for last day's events that I think is worthy of some conversation. In this episode, we have a discussion about that timeline as we explore these themes. We also touch on Ezra's Eagle, and also some striking parallels between the Southern Kingdom of Judah, and also some events from 3rd Nephi to modern day Utah. As Morgan draws these parallels, they point to something happening to Utah that, to be quite frank, isn't really ideal. Towards the end of the episode, I make a major announcement concerning me and my family, so you'll want to stick around for that for sure. Get ready for an explosive episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to mormonrenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page, search out the blog post, and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character. thanks for being on man hey my pleasure thanks for having me and and okay this is a first for the show we actually have a ton of people listening in now um so i guess it's like live before a studio audience i just need a laugh track now and i think i got this all figured right. out so um i gotta tell you i have a friend who's <clears throat> been on the podcast several times um nate richardson and he he was like you need to check out this talk by by morgan philpot and i was like okay send it over and i'll take a listen 
So I was listening to it and I was just fascinated. And I, I'd recognized you because you, you, I'd seen you at a couple of conferences and stuff. I'm like, who is he? And so I started looking around and I'm like, holy cow, he was a Utah legislator. He had been around, you, you've been around for a while here. Um, as, as I'm I was, an old dude, <laughs> me, me as well. It's okay. I understand. I got some gray in my beard going on too. So, um, as, as I was kind of listening to your talk, I, I just had problems poking holes in it, right? Like I'm a skeptical guy to begin with. Um, I'm not somebody who just, um, just takes a plunge on anything without doing my homework. And so yeah. as I was listening to your, to your talk, your fireside there, I was like, holy cow, it's hard to, to poke holes on. And I thought I got to have him on to talk about this. And so for 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 those listening the 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 <clears throat> kind of the overarching theme was is that Utah especially the 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 Wasatch front now um is pretty much kind of in the same position that the southern kingdom of Judah was in yeah and that's what we're going to talk about today and cuz i feel like it's got some very practical applications right i'm a guy right. who loves the gospel not because it just teaches me of where things are going to end, but I, I really believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a lot of tools to be able to um, navigate this life with, and and I think your talk was was absolutely part of that. Um, where did you come up with this? Right at what point did this did that light bulb go off, and you're like, oh no, here we go. Well, I okay, so. I've always been the kind of person who wasn't necessarily um, a righteous person, but a curious person mm -hmm. and a believer. Okay. So when I first heard a full story of Joseph Smith, it was a no brainer for me. I had no problem whatsoever accepting that as true, received a confirmation through the spirit that he was a prophet of God. And so everything flowed out of that. Every time thereafter, I asked Brigham Young, yes, right? John Taylor, yep. You know, all the way down to the current prophet of the church. I have no problems whatsoever. But you know what I never had is I never had a testimony of Christ, which may sound backwards. But I think the purpose of a dispensation head, an Abraham, a Moses, um, is to reveal the true nature of God and Christ to the dispensation. And so that foundation was important, the foundation that Joseph built. And when I received my testimony of Christ, finally, through repentance and, and, and not believing that the solution to the world was politics, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go into politics and fix things. But instead, it was Christ, and it was his kingdom. Then I felt like the scriptures began to be opened up to me. Okay. And, and so I started to study. I started to repent. I started to try to get out of mainstream civilization. I had been in the practice of law. I started to get out of the practice of law. And as I did that and simplified my life, 
I I felt like I just started to see things more clearly and understand things more clearly. And then COVID, of course, right? All this is happening around COVID. And having been in law and politics for so long, COVID was so obviously wrong. So not, not like COVID is a, a sickness that's wrong. I mean, the whole, everything surrounding COVID was wrong. Right. The, the, the things we were doing to eliminate due process, the fact that we had gone into martial law in the state of Utah and nobody seemed to care. And martial law wasn't too bad, right? I mean, how can you complain about martial law when COVID, from my political and legal experience, was messed up? We were taking away people's rights to jury trials. We were taking away their rights to appear in court with public uh, witnesses. We were changed dramatic. We, we were receiving orders from the Utah Supreme Court that were supporting lockdowns that had not gone through legislative processes. We were we we had a governor entering into secret agreements with the Rockefeller Foundation, taking billions upon billions of dollars through the state of Utah. There was no accountability, and at the end of the day, COVID, no matter what you think about it was not what they said it was. Mm -hmm. And nobody worked to restore all of that to us. Nobody came back and said, here's your rights back. Nobody came and said, hey, we're sorry, we shouldn't have done that. Hey, even though there was a 0% death ratio amongst the kids, we're sorry that we locked them down at schools and masked them and uh, that we locked some in closets, that we treated some badly. Uh, due to contact tracing, that we refuse to pick kids up on buses because of our fear and suspicion. And we're sorry that we let fear and suspicion rule the world for two years. Nobody did that. Mm -mm. And we just rolled on as if nothing had happened. Right. You know, I, I was working for Salt Lake County when COVID hit. And um, for, for those who aren't familiar with my story, I wasn't born a Mormon. I, I chose this much to my chagrin at the beginning, I was like, I don't want to be a Mormon. They're strange. Anyway, I, I remember um, thinking to myself, well, I probably did enough damage to my body um, before I was a Mormon that if COVID got in, they'd be like, we got to find a new place to live. This place is a dump. Um, and so I, I was one of the ones that volunteered to keep going in. Um, I was like, you know what, I'll keep going in. I, you know, I'd done just enough research to realize that this probably wasn't, um, this, this wasn't going to be what everybody was hyping it up to be. And I, I remember I went in one day and they said, Hey, since you're one of the ones here, would you mind going to some of these meetings where we talk about this and everything? And I'm like, sure. And I started looking at the statistics that were coming out, right? And I was like, okay, so the average death rate on this thing is like way old. And I'm like, well, what's the average age of someone who dies in the United States, right? Just of natural causes. And those who were dying of COVID were either kind of only had already had one foot in the grave, right? And I don't want to minimize anybody losing anyone, right? It's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put it into perspective that the average age of, of, um, who was dying of COVID was usually greater than the average life expectancy. And so I, I saw from the beginning how this thing was being worked and, and it was real disturbing. And in fact, it caused me to go ahead and just say, I can't, I can't work here anymore. I'm going back to the private sector. 
I feel icky. Um, I've, I've got to go. So I, I completely agree with you. It, it was weird. We had martial law, but it was martial law inside of a gilded cage, right? Everyone just got to stay home and watch Tiger King and, and do their thing. And, and people, I was, I was most disconcerted by seeing how willing people were and how much they actually liked it. Um, that was the part that that really disturbed me above everything else. It wasn't so much the government trying to take power. They've been doing that for a long, long time. It was just how ready people were and willing to give up their freedoms in exchange for this perception of of security. Right. Yeah, that's what's what's troubling is I think we uh, when you um, begin an educational program to indoctrinate people into the worship of government or culture mm -hmm. you you i i would you know this is just me i think you need about two to three generations minimum mm -hmm. and once you hit a particular generation whose culture is fundamentally different than that which you started with they don't know what their rights are so they don't right. know when you take them and in 2020 I would say most of the world didn't know what was robbed from them. And right. it was a birthright based upon agency that comes out of morality. And what you've seen since 2020 is chaos, mm -hmm. com commotion, you know, sound familiar, straight out of the yep. Doctrine and Covenants, increase in warfare, talk of world war. Um, introduction of new currencies, which typically only happens in a failing country that is about to hyperinflate and ruin its money. Yes. Yeah, and absolutely. now we're on a worldwide scale monetary change and monetary failure, including the 2022 rise of the BRICS nations, which overtook the G7 countries in GDP in 2022. And so there's, there's your Cold War right there. And we lost the Cold War. For yeah. the first time in American history, we lost the economic war. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think, and, and the sad thing is, is that we did it by suicide, right? <clears throat> no one came in and did it to us. We did it to ourselves. We, for whatever reason, we felt like the 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 laws of economy stopped at the United States borders. And I tend to be a guy who believes that the laws of economy are a lot like the laws of physics. At some point they're going to be obeyed. And this, this has definitely ramped things up. I'm so. A... Oh, go ahead. You... Sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. Well, there was a, a I, I don't, I think I can find it here. I think it's second Nephi chapter one. Remember where um, the Lord tells Nephi that no one will come to this land except it be by the hand of the Lord. Okay, so he says, wherefore, oh, it's Lehi, 2 Nephi 1, 6, wherefore I, Lehi, prophesy according to the workings of the Spirit which is in me, that there shall none come into this land, save they shall be brought by the hand of the yes. Lord. Okay, well, look at what's happening at the border right now. Yeah. Is is Lehi and God a liar? Right. Or, or is the, when you think about the latter days, you've got the right hand of God, and you've got the left hand, the Assyrian, who does what he does by the hand of God as the wrath of God. And, and here's Lehi saying, nobody comes except by the hand of the Lord. The question I would pose is, which hand 
is bringing those people in, the right or the left. And if it's the left, we are in trouble. Yeah. And and I think I have a buddy who works uh, down in, in Texas for Border Patrol. And he said the stuff that they're finding down there is absolutely frightening. Um, finding books about, you know, Islamic martyrs. They're finding prayer rugs They're They're also finding Chinese nationals. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting. And, and we live in some very interesting times. Um, but I think that, you know, even though they're interesting and they do feel chaotic and they do feel like maybe things are out of control. I think it's talks like yours that bring perspective back, right? That fireside you did. And that's why I was so fascinated with it because it brings perspective back to what it is we're facing. So how long have you been working? Were you working on that, that, that idea? Um, well, one, I would say that I think it'd be unfair to, to say that I started it in 2020 uh, because if I had not been in law and in politics, I don't think I would have seen it. I don't think I would have seen the correlation. Then I got a hold of Jonathan Kahn's books, The Paradigm, The Harbinger. Yeah. And I saw the, in The Paradigm his comparison between Bill Clinton and Ahab. And I had been an intern at the White House under Clinton. I saw the modern Ahab steal Naboth's vineyard from Utah. And I went, oh my gosh, that that is, you know, and, and Clinton, our modern Ahab, stole parts of Utah from the Arizona border and concealed it by conspiracy. And I got to personally read through those documents of that conspiracy before I left the White House as an intern and do a report on it because Jim Hansen, who was a congressman, was had subpoenaed the documents through congressional subpoena. And so the guy who held them and they kept them in one room inside the Council on Environmental Quality at the White House up on the top shelf of the press secretary's office. And he's like, you just can't take those out of the room because you can do your report because your report will be released after we release these to the congressional subpoena. And and that I mean, that just didn't even register with me until 2020. I'm reading Jonathan Kahn's book and going, oh, my gosh, he really is Zahab. And Hillary Clinton really is Jezebel, the, the modern, you know, uh, child sacrifice queen or priestess of the right. Church of Baal. And I was like, holy cow, if he's Ahab, then who is the guy before him and who is the guy after him? And what about what about Utah? If Utah is really what it claims to be, where is Utah? Because if the church is true, you better be in Scripture. Because if you're not in Scripture, you're not true. And right. if you can't fulfill every jot and tittle that the Lord reveals through his prophets, you're not it. Right? And I was like, right. okay, well, time to do the work on what is true. And I began to do the work. And that is the thing that made all the difference in my life was becoming personally responsible for one, my own beliefs, and two, my family, and three, for my relationship to God himself. It, it wasn't like, I love Farrell Pickering, right? I mean, I love his presentations, sure. but Farrell will tell you just as quick as I will, you better not be leaning on me for your testimony. Right. I'm not your testimony. 
And Farrell, I knew no matter how much I love Farrell or Jonathan Kahn or Jody Stoddard's videos when I first saw them, I knew they were not my testimony and I knew these were not their truths. They right. belonged to the Lord and this was his story and this was his narrative. And I had to get in tune with him and I had to own that story myself for myself. Absolutely. That's what did it. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. I have an idea of how bad it is, but I'm sure it's just an idea. On a, on a scale of like zero being absolutely pristine and clean, your time in politics on a scale of one to 10, again, zero being clean, 10 being the dirtiest it could be, where, where do you think our political system is at right now? 10 being the dirtiest? Yeah. It's 10 really it's apocalyptic it's in times apocalyptic bad it is ether chapter eight you better awaken or you are all going to die that's how bad it is oh and what at what point did you just decide it's time to get out was it 2020 i mean yeah that that was that was the time that was like when you said i'm out i can't do this anymore that was my wake-up call, right? When I realized that I did not have the personal relationship with the Lord that I needed, that I was not the father I should be, that I was not the husband I should be, that I was not the priesthood holder I should be, all of that just came crashing down on me, and I had to repent. You know, I've been in similar situations. Um, probably the the worst one is when I first joined the the the, the LDS church and became a Mormon. Um, and just looking myself in the mirror and I, I'm sure it wasn't quite as bad as what, what mine was, but I mean, I think we all have those moments where we got to stare in the mirror and be like, you know what, you got some issues. You might be kind of a, kind of a dirt bag and, and clean stuff up. And, and that's a horrible place to be in the moment. But I, I always tell people as they go through that, the other side is way better, right? You're going to go through yeah. this and it's gonna be painful in the moment. But once you're once you're uh, once you're on the other side, it, it's much, much better. Yeah. So let's let's talk now more about your actual presentation. I, I want to go over okay. go over the 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 thrust of what it was you were presenting there, because I, I know my audience will will sure appreciate that. And, and I know you have followers that, that really appreciated that. So what's the main premise here? And then we'll dive into the 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 supporting evidence, if you will. All right. You know what's what's funny is I've struggled with that for three and a half years now. What is the main premise? And what's funny is I only realized in the past probably couple weeks what it is, right? I came to the premise after all the work. I, I couldn't simplify it until I had done all the work, which is I think the way life works, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I found it, and it's so obvious in hindsight, I found it in the words of the Lord himself. And remember how the Lord says uh, that we should walk as he walked? Mm -hmm. Well, we have one example that I know of. I, I can't, I mean, I, I can think of a general ministry walk of the Lord, but there is one walk the Lord makes with his disciples in scripture. 
And I don't mean the apostles because we are disciples. We are not apostles. Right. So where can I find an example of a walk by a disciple with the Lord? And it's Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, where you have two disciples of the Lord walking with him. And this shocked me because I was looking for evidence about the Pharisees and the Sadducees when I found this. I was looking for when he called them fools. And what I found instead was a moment in which the Lord calls his own disciples fools. So in Luke 24, he says, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Now here's the premise. Christ then says, I'm going to teach you. And it, Luke 24, 7 reads, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Okay, so as we see a pattern here relative to his first coming, so there is a parable for his second coming. If I want to convince people that Christ is coming, I think I need to follow this pattern. And I need to begin at Moses and cover all the apocalyptic prophets to show the, the modern disciples of Christ the apocalyptic vision of all the prophets, which points to the second coming of the Lord. And so I would start with Moses. And I would, you know, and I don't always do this, but if I were to take somebody uh, on that journey as best I could, I would go back to Deuteronomy uh, 28, 29, and 30. And what we have here is we have a beginning. And the beginning, at least kind of from the perspective of unfolding the coming of the Lord, right? Since we don't, we have Enoch. We've got the book of Enoch to some degree. But we don't have the book of Enoch today like we have Genesis, 1 Nephi, 2 Nephi, which which tie in, and the book of Moses and the Pearl of Great Price and the modern day revelations of the Doctrine and Covenants. So if we start with kind of the beginning of, of the prophetic end times and we go to Genesis chapter, I think it might actually be 29. Um, uh, no, I'm in the, sorry, uh, I'm, I'm in the wrong book. Deuteronomy, my bad, Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy 29. The okay. children of Israel have made a covenant with the Lord. And if you remember, there is some, this is kind of ominous. Joshua will even reiterate this covenant and say, don't do it. But as for me and my house, we're going to do it. Well, there's a reason why Joshua will say, hey, you might want to reconsider. You might not want to do this because the consequence of the failure within the covenant is so significant that it's dangerous to undertake. So the Lord says in Deuteronomy 29, Verse 9, keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them that ye may prosper in all that ye do. Ye stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God. Well, who? Well, he says, your families and you. And why? Verse 12, to enter into a covenant and into his oath that he may establish thee for a people unto himself that he may be our God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But look at verse 14. Neither with you only do I make this covenant, 
But with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day. This is an eternal covenant to all the posterity of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all the tribes of Israel. And so there's a warning. Go down to verse 20. Verse, um, well, yeah, verse 19 and 20, basically. If you don't keep this, all the cursings of this covenant will, will come upon you. Who? Not just them, but us today. Right. Th this, this applies to all the posterity. <clears throat> These secret things, verse 29, belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So now we know who this applies to, right? And we know that Israel is going to fail and that, that, that not only is the southern kingdom of Judah going to fall and the northern kingdom of Israel going to fall, but after their captivity, they will then crucify the Messiah. And we will go into a long day of darkness. And so Moses then prophesies in Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, that there will come a day when the posterity will call these things to mind among all the nations. Now, nations is goyim in Hebrew, which means Gentiles. So if we use that word interchangeably, thou shalt call them to mind among all the Gentiles, whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return, 1620, this is the Mayflower Compact, right? They will not step off of that boat until they make a covenant before they enter onto the promised land because they have agreed to return unto God and to obey his voice because they know. They know this promise. They have studied this promise. They have come to America for this specific purpose, led by God and the Spirit himself to do so. So then the Lord says, and if you do this, I will turn your captivity, 1776. I'll have compassion upon you, and I will return, 1820, sacred grove, and I will gather thee from all the nations. Doctrine and covenants, Lord commands Joseph to send missionaries over into the European countries. He specifically says, tell them to leave the east and to gather to the west. Why? Because, you know, this is in 1831, starting in about 1844, Karl Marx will rise to prominence. Communism will spread throughout Europe, and they'll literally murder 100 million people over the next 100 years throughout Europe and Asia in the name of communism or in the name of the great red dragon and his restoration of his ancient combination in the old time from the old times. So God says, I'll return. If any of thine be driven out unto the most parts of heaven from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee. Now we got to go backwards a little bit. We got to go to Deuteronomy 28 and we have to explore what is the consequence if if our forefathers and mothers invoked this great promise in 1620 before they entered onto the land and the Lord. If, I'm if sorry, they... let me interrupt for those on. Can you please mute your microphone? Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Go ahead. OK, so so if we're going to. Um, if If this blessing has been invoked, then then the blessings that God promises will come to pass and the cursings will come to pass. But Moses stops basically 
right at 1776, okay? So he'll give you this very specific detail on kind of dates or date-specific moments. He'll jump to 1820, very date-specific moment when he returns. But he doesn't give us much more. And now what he's going to do is he's going to leapfrog basically from 1820 in about verse 15 in Deuteronomy 28. And he's going to say, if you do not hearken, all the curses shall come upon thee. Okay, now you just start reading from Deuteronomy verse 15 all the way down through all the curses. And I don't know how you can't see what's happening in America today in those verses. We, we're losing our labors to other nations. Our children are being raised up to serve other masters. Our fields are not producing natural seed anymore. Our waters are being corrupted and polluted. The stranger that is within thee shall get above thee, in verse 43. And we become a sign and a wonder for other people. Well, what kind of a sign and a wonder? Well, a sign and a wonder are what happens to a nation who turns against the covenant they made with the Lord. And then finally, in verse 49, right, if you want to think about the future, Moses is going to jump from all the way back here, all the way into the future. So we're going to have to go somewhere else to pick up this apocalyptic vision of Moses. Okay, so in verse 49, the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor, nor shew favor to the young. He shall eat the fruit of thy cattle, the fruit of thy land, until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kine, or flocks of thy sheep, until he have destroyed thee. He shall besiege thee in all thy gates, until thy high and fenced walls come down, wherein thou trustest. Okay, so you see the end of the picture. Right? Right. Here's the end. And so when you ask me how bad is it, that's how bad it is. We sit on the precipice of that. And in verse 54, so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. So Ooh. that's how bad it's going to get. And and if you if you stop there, you would probably feel great trouble right in your in your soul and and wonder how is it possible that we could be saved right from the consequences of that vision well if you think about it for a second what what we don't want to do is we don't want to leave ourselves there and so we ask ourselves if the lord is telling the truth on the road to Emmaus and we go and we search Moses and we see this beginning, who would be the prophet that picks up at about 1776 or maybe at about 1620? And it's Nephi. And Nephi picks up right where Moses leaves off, and he tells us of the colonization of Mm -hmm. what we know today as the United States of America by a group of inspired people, He walks through how his brethren will be driven off the land before these Gentiles who will then inhabit the land and come into a restoration of the gospel. 
Now I won't cover a lot of that, but but you see what's happening. Yeah. The Lord, the Lord is sowing this parable throughout his word for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, for those who are watching for him and for when he comes. So Nephi will then say, um, I I can't tell you the rest of what I saw. Right. So so where does Nephi tell us we should go to? Isaiah. Tells us John. John. He does. He but he'll say one thing first, right? Before Nephi goes into the Isaiah chapters in Second Nephi, he'll he'll say, I saw this entire vision. I saw what happened to your entire nation. But the the spirit constraineth me. And the angel has told me that the rest of this vision will be given unto John the Revelator. Okay, now, John is, I, I, I'm, I'd be remiss if I didn't also include Daniel. Okay. Because Daniel will also be existing in this same space as Nephi pointing us towards the restoration in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 7, right? Daniel chapter 2 is the stone cut out of the mountain. Sure, yep. And and then Daniel, well, let me go there and I'll, I'll show you why this becomes so important. Daniel's going to give us some clues by the use of metals, gold, silver, brass, iron, and miry clay as a substance of the earth and so if we run over there and we follow through in daniel D daniel is under similar constraints to nephi he's not allowed to say certain things and so what daniel will try to do similar to nephi is he'll try to get around those constraints by using imagery from his day and time that is in similitude to our day and time, because mm -hmm. that does not violate the Lord's admonition against writing it. Right. And so D Daniel will do that. And if we if if we just walk through Daniel's chapters, looking at that, we we see the clues he's giving us about wise men in chapter two. Um about secrets and visions in the heavens, right? Up in space. Right. And how how God and future antichrists will change times and seasons. Well, times and seasons are, you know, Pharaoh Pickering talks a lot about this, the appointed times. Right. The appointed feast days. And so Daniel is laying out some things one I would theorize, because I don't understand this interpretation, is that Daniel is setting himself up along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as the four grand constellations that govern all the constellations of Israel. Interesting. And so if we go and we compare Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the book of Revelation, I believe it's chapter four and seven, I think, we learn about these four great beasts surrounded by, uh, this is all cosmic imagery. Right. And who is who is the great cosmic interpreter that 
that lays the foundation of numbers leading up to the coming of Christ and the star signs relative to the coming of the Lord. So, so Daniel is revealing pieces of this great cosmic vision to better help us interpret John the Revelator, just as Nephi is going to do, just as Isaiah is going to do, because all of these great prophets are going to funnel us into Revelation and the book of Revelation to help us interpret it. Daniel chapter 3, um, we see that, uh, oh, here's where, here's where I think we learn this important cosmic imagery in Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province. What does Joseph Smith teach us in the facsimiles of Abraham? He teaches us about the governing planets over the province of God, the kingdoms right. of God. And he says that these men have not regarded thee, they serve not thy gods. These are the Babylonian, the Zodiac, the Babylonian uh, days of the month, the Babylonian names of the month, the Babylonian, you know, all this Babylonian corruption that enters into the kingdoms of God to prevent us from seeing the true months, the true years, the true days the true star signs that all these ancient men used to know. And, and so we, we, if we can pick up on these hints, right? Revelation 13, 5, he had power given life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause many to worship the image. Well, what's the image? We learn about that in Daniel, right? We learned that the image is the statue, these other beasts, this lion, this leopard, a bear, and an unknown beast that Daniel is not given the interpretation of, which turns out to be an eagle because Ezra in the Apocrypha gets that interpretation. And, and one of the keys to our success in the latter days is taught in Daniel 3, verse 14. Do not serve other gods. Do not worship this imagery that has been created in our history and culture. Turn from it and turn back to the Lord and embrace his imagery and his ways and his symbols. And, and if you do that, Verse 17, God will deliver you from the fiery furnace. Well, what's the fiery furnace? It's the burning of the last days. This is all last days imagery, try, trying to like get through our thick heads, right? Because we are the fools walking with the Lord on the road to Emmaus. And, and these guys are trying to say, please wake up. We, we strive for these covenants. We got them for you. Please don't waste them. Right. Um, <clears throat> so... We, we keep going on, and Daniel's going to give us some signs of the latter days. And um, let's see, I'm, gonna, I'm just trying to, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to cover Daniel 4. He, he does give us some hints in there. Verse 33, the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers. Mm. What's that? That says eagle, and his nails like bird's claws. So in the latter days, this head, right, Babylon, is going to become the United States of America, Ezra's eagle. And it's eagle's feathers and it's bird's claws. Well, in Revelation, we learn that the 
the claws are iron and iron as we study Daniel and as we study the book of Ezra is the iron nation that tries to subdue the saints and the saints have to split away or be broken off from that iron nation because the saints are of miry clay. The saints are of Adam and the saints will be guided by God until Adam returns the ancient of days. So Daniel is just sticking all these pieces in front of us, telling us when all this is going to come to an end. In Daniel chapter five, we see that, um, Bel Belshazzar, the king, makes a feast, and in verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron. There's those substances again um, of wood and stone. And there's, I'm not going to go into all the imagery, but, you know, when you talk about what wood and stone become after they decay or after they're beaten down, right? they, be, they become clay. And and Adam is the man of clay, the man of dust. And, and all these things in Daniel, of course, are leading to that man in his glory at Adam on Diamond, where the Ancient of Days will sit and bring all the keys back to the kingdom of God, the stone cut out of the mountain and given back to the Lord. So um, he'll, he'll talk, and we know who the gold is, right? The gold is the king of Babylon. So if the king of Babylon is the gold, what is, we're, we, we need to keep following this imagery. Verse six, who, who's the lion? Who's the lion beast that we're going to learn about in seven? Well, I think Daniel six teaches us that. The people of the lions, the Babylonian gates had lions on them. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is the lion kingdom. And in the last days, what are all the kingdoms going to do? They're going to amalgamate together under the dragon as a perverted, corrupt beast that is combined together in Revelation chapter 13. So in Daniel 6, we learn that there will come a day, probably in our time, in which the gods of this world will make a decree that nobody can petition See, Daniel 6, verse 12, Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days will be cast into the den of lions? What did you lose during COVID? You lost your due process. Yeah. You, you lost your right to petition for redress of grievances. Just like Daniel's kingdom had made it illegal to exercise your fundamental rights, so did we make it illegal. And Daniel is tying these pictures together, leading to a Latter-day vision. So Daniel, what does Daniel do? Daniel doesn't invoke Article of Faith number 12 and say, we believe in being subject to. Right. That's, the right. that's the church's duty. The church is a woman. And, and as the woman, she cannot fight the beast. She subjects herself. But a man covenants with God to defend his family and his woman and his church and his land. And so Daniel's like, I'm not obeying this thing. I'm not bowing down to the gods of this world. Right. And for that, Daniel is cast to the lions. Well, how many men did you see in 2020? who stood up willing to be cast to the lions. And how many did you see bow down to the gods of this world and lap like dogs? Oh, a lot. A lot. 
right? And so there's another piece of imagery, the story of Gideon. If you see a man lapping like a dog, don't put him in your group of 10. And the, right. the groups of 10 are these organizational numbers established by God all the way back again in the days of Moses, in the days of Gideon, where men will combine together in patriarchal priesthood to protect themselves and their families. And what's happening instead, instead of being Daniels, instead of gathering in our tens, we're sniveling little cowards who ask the woman, the church, to please save us from the big bad monster. And that is fundamentally backwards to this entire apocalyptic Latter-day vision, which, again, Daniel's trying to show us. We go into Daniel 7. He sees four great beasts come up from the sea. Now, notice what he says in verse 3. They are diverse. Now, in Revelation chapter 13, they will not be diverse. They will be part of a new world order. And Joseph Smith will prophesy that they are combined. And so here's how Daniel is getting around the restrictions that the Lord places upon intruding into the book of Revelation. Daniel is doing a runaround. And he's saying, look, here they are. It's the bear. Sorry, the lion. The bear. The leopard. And in verse 7, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, with great iron teeth, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. Now, the residue is is a term of remnant. Mm -hmm. So here we see the, the Lord's people being refined by this latter-day fourth beast. Right. Well, where where do the saints rise up in the latter days? In America. So who must this beast be? America. It's not Russia. Right. It's not Great Britain. This beast has power over the saints to stamp them who drives the church out of the eastern midwestern united states the united states right the, so so now daniel's going to do what all the other prophets do in verse 9 he's going to jump all the way ahead and say i saw everything until adam on diamond i beheld till thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit so and and you can go compare that with you know, Doctrine and Covenants 87.6, till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit, repeated in the Doctrine and Covenants. And Revelation uh, 12, verse 7, also is comparable where we see uh, that Michael emerges from this similar picture. And Michael is in heaven, what Adam is on earth. So we have this heavenly equivalent of Adam on Diamond. Uh, in similitude to the earthly Adam on Diamon. Uh, once again, Daniel placing himself into this vision, and, and which sort of recalls Joseph Smith's statement that we live in the day that our forefathers saw, that they wanted to live for it, but they couldn't. And so God gave them visions of the thing to bless us. Okay, so so we go to in Daniel 7, we, we see these beasts, and, and if we now go to the Apocrypha, 2nd Esdras, chapter 12, you can find a King James Version online. And in the Apocrypha, 
Esdras or uh, Ezra is told uh, by the Lord. Here's what he says. He said to me, this is the interpretation of this vision that you have seen. The eagle that you saw coming up from the sea is the fourth kingdom that appeared in the vision to your brother, Daniel. Mm. So here, here we go. Ezra's eagle is Daniel's fourth beast kingdom. Now, this makes all the difference in the world, because if we study second Ezra's chapter 11 and verse 12 to get the interpretation of that eagle vision, do we know what time we're in? We know we must be after 1844, which is when Joseph established the kingdom of God with the Council of 50 in March of 1844. After, you know, 24 years of visions and foundation laying, Joseph finally lays down the kingdom of God in its form of the Council of 50, we call it today. That's right. not what it was called by them. But <clears throat> so, so we know when we should start looking for these eagle feathers, it has to be after 1844. And right. in in searching for them, the first one will rise up on the right side of the eagle, according to Ezra. Now, I don't know if you can share your screen with me, but if you can, yeah, I can I'll show you. Permission. Give me I'll just show one you here. I'll show you how just profound this becomes. Okay. Can you see that? Yep. Okay. So let's go back to second Ezra's chapter. Um, and I actually want to go to the King James version of second Ezra's. Okay. King James Bible online, second Ezra's chapter 11. I'm not going to walk through all the steps, but I, I want you to see what he says uh, in verse 12. And I looked and behold on the right side, Okay, what side are we on? We're on the right side. There arose one feather and reigned over all the earth. Hmm. Okay, the next verse, 13. And so it was that when it rained, the end of it came and the place thereof appeared no more. So the next following stood up and reigned and had a great time. That does obviously not partying, right? He just, <laughs> he, he stays longer sure. than the first. And the first, it says, you know, once he's done, the voice of the eagle came unto it and said, Hear thou that hast borne rule over the earth so long. This I say unto thee, before thou beginnest to appear no more, guess what America is going to do? There shall none after thee attain unto thy time, neither unto half thereof. Okay, well, there's only one president of the United States that fits that bill, and that's FDR. So we right. go back here to FDR right here. And before him is the guy who rises up on the right, Herbert Hoover. And sure enough, Herbert Hoover does rise on the right. And so there we have our first feather of Ezra's eagle. Now, if you study Ezra's eagle, he will tell you. Let's go back out to a, a better view so we can see the whole thing. Then arose the third and appeared no more. So it went with all of them. In the process of time, there were some, verse 20, that stood up on the right side that they might rule. And some of them ruled, but within a while they appeared no more. For some were set up, but ruled not. I'll tell you, that's Ronald Reagan right there. If right. there was ever a guy who was set up, but didn't really get to rule, 
because of his vice president. It's Ronald Reagan. Now, if we count all of these, in verse 22, it says, After this I looked, and behold, the twelve feathers appeared no more, nor the two little feathers. So of the total little feathers, which are going to be eight in Ezra's eagle, two of them are going to fulfill their time along with the first twelve presidents of the United States. Now, if we go back here to Herbert Hoover, one, two, three, four, five by Kennedy— Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, Barack Obama. Now, what's interesting about that is Ezra is really smart to create a left right paradigm with this eagle because between Herbert Hoover and Barack Obama, we will have seven Republican presidents and seven Democrat presidents. We will have one short feather Democrat and one short feather Republican. Meaning one term? Uh, no, they like Kennedy and Nixon, who will have to leave their term okay. early for some reason. Okay. And And so once we begin to see this and we see its connection to Daniel, now we can go back to Daniel and we can see a much more comprehensive picture of what Daniel is trying to teach us. So Daniel is placing his beast from his time into our day to get around these restrictions that the Lord places upon intruding into the book of Revelation. Sorry, I went the wrong way there. Let's get rid of that. Okay, so here we are, verse 7. I saw a fourth beast, the United States of America, dreadful and terrible, strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints under Joseph Smith with its feet and drove Brigham Young out into the wilderness. Okay, well, but, but we don't actually start to count the feathers of this beast until we get to that first right side feather, Herbert Hoover. Okay, so it says this beast has 10 horns. Well, here's what's really interesting. If I, if I were to take you back to 2nd Esdras, okay, and you look at the first verse, you see a beast come up out of the sea with feathers, right? Right. What if we were to take this in its original, 2nd Esdras, chapter 11, Latin Vulgate version, okay, and we were to look at you know, is it possible that there is a little bit of mistranslation going on here? So we're going to pull up the Latin Vulgate real quick. And we want the whole thing. Second Esdras 11 in Latin. And we specifically want to look at that first verse right there. Et factum est secunda nocte, et vidi somnium et ecce ascendabat de Marie Aquila qui errant duodecim alai. Panarum. There we go. That's the word, panarum. What is a panarum? Well, panarum has been translated as feathers. So let's do a little cheating here. Okay. And let's go. I just Latin want to state to for the English. record that you just rattled that off in Latin just to show off. That's... I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't actually know how to, <laughs> I am not fluent in, I, I don't even know how to, okay, look at that word. Fins. Panarum. Fins. Okay. Now, now, that's really interesting, because if I were to take a dragon 
and combine it with an eagle, what what would the feathers become in that morphing of those two beasts into an abominable beast of the last days? Is it possible that this perversion of a beast could look more like a dragon than an eagle and yet is both? Yeah. So is it too hard to believe that what Daniel is talking about is an eagle combined with a dragon who has panarum or feathers or horns? And so when we look for these 10 horns or or uh, fins or feathers, can we find them in the presidents of the United States? Let's count them. We need 10. Herbert Hoover, one, two, three, four, Kennedy, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Ronald Reagan. Interesting. Okay, now if that's true, Let's read about what happens after these 10 horns. I considered them and beheld there came up among them another little horn. Who would be the 11th? George Bush. Let's go back. George H.W. Bush. Anything wrong with that guy? A ton's wrong with that guy. Yeah, I, uh, I, it's interesting because, um, there's some interesting connections to him and with what happened to Kennedy. And when they yep, asked yep. him, when they asked George, George Herbert Walker Bush, where were you on, on the day Kennedy died? Mm -hmm. He's like, well, I can't remember now. Let, let me say this. Do you remember exactly where you were on nine 11? Yes. Me too. I think we could ask everybody on here who can, you know, who was old enough to remember 9-11. And we'll all tell you exactly where we were. We could probably tell you what the room looked and smelled like. And for him to be like, you know what? I, I'm drawing a blank. I can't remember where I was on the day Kennedy was assassinated was a little suspicious. And then you you add in all the other surrounding details and it looks awfully, awfully dirty. Yeah. Well, look at look at verse eight again. What does that little horn do? Before whom there were three of the first little horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. My bad. No, you're good. You're good. I, I was trying to show you the next thing before I let you finish. Um, Verse, verse eight, right? Verse eight. Yep. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now, this is interesting because... I remember I was in, I think I was in high school. I think I was a freshman when, yeah. when the first time, no, I take that back. I was in junior high and I wasn't particularly religious, but I, I had read the Bible with my mom a little bit. And he, I remember during the Gulf war, he said, this is yes. the birth of a new world order, right? That's right. I can't right. think of, I can't think of a much better analogy than speaking great things right great not as yeah. in this is going to be awesome but great as in this is massive well let me ask you something when did we see the rise of constant warfare in and out of the united states and when i say in and out i mean foreign wars and wars against domestic terrorism when did all that start that really starts that really picks up during his administration that's because right because we 
it, it's right after his administration, we start seeing things like the bombing of the USS Cole. We start seeing right. things happen with with where they bomb those barracks. I can't remember which country. And then from there, we're just eight short yeah. years away before 9-11 really happens. Okay, so so look at this now. Now, now tell me after you read this, this is not George H.W. Bush, okay? okay? So first of all, we learn in verse 8 that before him were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. Okay, now let's just go back to our list of presidents, and let's see George H.W. Bush right there, and let's go back. Do you see three presidents before him who were plucked up? Well, How about Ronald Reagan, an assassination attempt on Reagan, yeah. who who Ezra, I would say, arguably says is set up but doesn't get to rule. Jimmy Carter is a clown who is ruled by somebody else and not of his own accord. Richard Nixon is removed. John F. Kennedy is removed. Lyndon Johnson is a CIA plant or a military industrial complex mm -hmm. plant. So you, you take your pick, right? You want to pick Reagan, Nixon, and Kennedy? Do you want to pick Johnson? Ford and Carter. Now, now look at what he says next. He says that of that same little horn, uh, that he will subdue three kings. So let's go after him and look at the three kings or feathers who follow George H.W. Bush. And tell me if you have a problem with those guys and yeah. do they carry on his warmongering? Absolutely. Okay. So now, watch this. I'm going to do a quick Google search with you. We're going to go Bush, Bush, Clinton, Obama. Okay, what do, what do these guys have in common? They all hang out together everywhere. They all hang out together. And they were all united against somebody in particular. Donald Trump. And that person, Donald Trump, the first contrary feather prophesied of in Ezra's Eagle. So we go back to your question that you posed to me, like in politics, how bad is it? Well, it is so bad that when we get to the end of Ezra's vision, there are only six of the little feathers remaining, along with three heads of the abominable beast of the last days. So he says in verse 23, there was no more upon the eagle's body, but three heads that rested and six little wings. Uh, Donald Trump would be the first. Then saw I two little feathers divide themselves from the six and remained under the head that was upon the right side for the four continued in their place. Well, that's even worse because now we just went from six feathers to four and three heads. And I beheld and lo, the feathers that were under the wing thought to set up themselves and to have rule. Rule over what? The abominable beast that is part of the dragon's kingdom combined in the last days. This is a fight for the tyranny over the nation. Whoever wins this fight is thinks that they're going to be the ruler of the beast. So, verse 26, And lo, there was one set up, Donald Trump, but shortly he appeared no more. And the second, Joe Biden, was sooner away than Trump. Now, I would argue that's already happened. He has dementia. He, yeah. he is not of mental faculty to govern the country. And he yeah. is not governing the country. And everybody knows that, unless you are a fool. Yeah. At, at this point, 
when the dude tries to shake hands with the air and can't stand up fast without falling yeah. over, there's some issues, right? And to say that he's yeah. the one pulling the levers of power, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I agree. So we see, right, we had four. We're now down to two. And it says, I beheld in low the two that remained thought to reign. And when they thought to reign, there awakened one of the heads at rest. And it was greater than the two. And the other two joined it. And they turned and ate up the two remaining feathers that would have reigned, which tells me they don't get to reign. So let's, I'm not saying my interpretation is correct. Okay. I'm, I'm saying go through this exercise for the purpose of being ready for whatever may come. We had four of them, Donald Trump gone, Joe Biden gone, two thought terrain could be, um, somebody said to me the other day uh, that it could be um, the speaker of the house, uh, McCarthy, who got deposed, and Kamala Harris. Right. And, and instead, the three woke up, the military-industrial complex, I would argue. That doesn't mean they're not individual people. I'm not arguing that, okay? But but we're talking about a coup that has already taken place, and now the the head of the beast is in charge. So So what if, you know, let me just walk through this. What if the head of that beast is the military-industrial complex? What if the left and the right are the Democrat and Republican Party vying for who will come out on top? Well, Ezra tells us who will come out on top, and he says it will be the head upon the right. So what if Donald Trump, who has taken over the Republican Party sure. and is now about to demolish the military industrial complex that kicked him out of office between January 6th and January 12th and is about to demolish the Democrat Party, obtains control of the United States of America as the Assyrian. Right. I, again, I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm going back to that question you asked. How bad is it? And what I would say is whether I am right or, or not, can you see how bad it is? Yeah. Can you see how close we may be? And isn't that enough Ooh. to cause the average person to wake up and say, oh, my goodness, I, I better get out of here. It's time to get out of here. And, and you got to do what you got to do, right? That's right. your decision to make. But... But I look at that and then I jump over to Revelation 13, where I pick up on this exact story. Seven heads, 10 horns. I, I think I know who those 10 horns are. We just read about them right. in Daniel. And, <clears throat> and we see this beast, the dragon who controls the lion, the leopard, the bear, and the eagle. And the prophet, uh, the mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, power given unto him to continue 40 and two months. When did you see the rise of the modern media state or the, the modern corrupted media state? I'd argue it's George H.W. Bush generation. Yeah. This is yeah. when the government really takes over. Um, I'm, I'm not saying they didn't have a lot of control before, right? But this is when we see a monopolization and the growth of a technocratic state and media combination. Right. 
So in verse 7 in Revelation 13, it's given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nation. There's 2020 right there. Right? Okay. Welcome, welcome to the book of Revelation. You live in it. Therefore, you are in the very end. Right. And act accordingly. So, I mean, I could take you other places. I don't, I don't want to just sit here and no, talk, no, talk no. at you forever and ever and ever. But you see where you see where where this took me. Right. And what I started to do was say, okay, if this is true, everything must verify this truth. Yeah. And I just started searching everywhere else. And what I found is that so far, the evidence of, of Scripture, if we can call it that, I know a lot of people outside who don't believe in Scripture wouldn't like that. But okay. But but to me, you know, it, once you find that that narrative that I think the Lord really brings up with his apostles on the road to Emmaus, right? You you can just walk yourself to the end with him and with the spirit. Right. You know, I find this fascinating because um, one of the things that I had toyed with personally, and I just want to say, this is my own opinion. Book of Dave, page one, you probably want to take a great big, huge grain of salt with this. But as, as I studied through Revelation years ago, um, and I studied the beast, right? And it talks about in Revelation that, that he, he sustains a great wound and it appears kind of like he's dead. And then to everyone's uh, amazement, he comes back, right? He gets healthy again and, and comes back. And I sat there and as I thought about it, one of, one of my first uh, thoughts was, could this be communism, right? Instead of a man, could this be a system? You know, you look at the number 666, it's equal, it's the same. That's what communism alleges it strives to do is make everything equal. Just my own thought. This is the first time I'm hearing of somebody who who is ascribing, for some reason, we as we as people, we we want to ascribe a personality to this, right? To these horns and these sorts of things. And you certainly can. But you make the point that it could be the military industrial complex. It's the first time outside of my own personal musings that that I've heard someone make the the argument that maybe it's a system and not a a person. You're muted, I think, Phil. There okay, thanks. Thanks. Okay, so so take that um, that wound, right? Yeah. Um, I he says, and and the beast. Okay, let's go back to verse one. I I see a beast rise up out of the sea. Seven heads, ten horns. This beast is like unto a leopard, a bear, a lion, and the dragon, which we read about in Revelation 12, which is Lucifer, according to the, I'd say, John's own interpretation and Joseph Smith's. Uh, the devil is the master of those three beasts. Now, before, um, notice he doesn't mention the eagle, right. but he does say, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded un uh, to death and his deadly wound was healed. Well, there's seven heads. Okay. Right. How many heads are on the eagle? Three. Three. So how many heads are left for the other beasts? We've got the lion, Four. at least one. 
The bear at least one. Uh, maybe. I mean, you could say that the bear doesn't have one because it only sights his feet, but and the leopard. Now, you you take that and you say, okay, well, one of his heads, and I would argue it's one of the eagle heads, is wounded to death. And if you study Ezra's eagle, that happens. So um, one of those three heads, or, or two of them, are going to be killed. What if, let's go down, and he exerciseth, exerciseth all the power of the first beast <clears throat> before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now that sword is an interesting word because modern American presidents don't die by the sword. The sword is political death. They don't come back once they lose. So to where do we find a guy or a president who rules, who is wounded to death, and everybody says there's no possible way that guy will ever come back? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. And all of a sudden, here he is. Again, don't take my interpretation, right? right. But what this is for me, this is a really helpful exercise to know that I am living in the latter days, in the end times, so that when the fulfillment occurs, I am ready to see it for what it is and hear it for what it is. And if I'm wrong, so what? At least I am prepared to see and adjust my interpretation based upon the Lord's reality and not my opinion. Right. But if you, if you don't dig into this, if you don't own this yourself, and you fill your lamp with my oil, and I'm wrong, you're one of the foolish virgins with your lamp half full because you are filling it with Morgan Philpott's opinion. Sure. You don't do that. <clears throat> right. But on the other hand, if I learn this, and I own it, and it happens, and the Spirit says to me, this is it, then my lamp is full. I am ready to receive. I am ready to hear. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be at the door when the bridegroom opens it. Right. And and now let's follow through on Revelation 13. Um, you want me to try to show you this again? Would yeah. that help if I share my screen? Okay, so can you see that? Okay. Revelation 13, verse 16. He, the the beast causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark. Well, there's 2020 again. Right. Right. If you didn't wear a mask at certain grocery stores, you couldn't go in. If you didn't wear a mask on the airplane, you couldn't get on. If you didn't have a vaccination at your job, you got fired. If you didn't have a vaccination as a missionary for the church, Japan would not let you come into their country. Who did this affect? Well, it affected all small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. And we all had the mark. And that that's what hit me too in 2020 is like, oh my gosh, I've got the mark. And why do I have the mark? Because I can buy and sell. Because right. if I want anything in that 2020 economy, 
I had to bow my knee to that beast like like Daniel was supposed to when they blew the whistle, get on your knees, right? When we tell you to put the mask on, put it on. When we tell you to get the shot, get the shot. When we tell you not to come to school, don't come to school. And and the Lord says, through John, let him that hath understanding count the number, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. Now, I have a lot of opinions on what that could mean. I I don't necessarily disagree with people who say that it is digital currency. I don't disagree that it is a social security number or that it is a chip in your hand. But it's so much more than that. Okay, it's so much more. And and let me show you why. The Lord doesn't work in three-dimensional time and space. The hmm. Lord works in four-dimensional time and space. It's all true, right? The Lord is not limited to one single interpretation of a giant parable or lesson. It can fulfill itself in multi-dimensional ways. So if I go to Ezekiel chapter 8, look at this right here. Verse 1, it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day. So this is one day before 666. Now, if you ever wanted to find something that was the number of a man, it is our modern calendar. It was created by Julius Caesar and right. Augustus, and it it is a calendar based upon the numbers of Babylonian man. And so what no, happens he, is... I'm not. What do you want? Okay, we're muted again. Okay. Okay, so... So if you want to find kind of a multidimensional fulfillment, here is Ezekiel sitting one day before the apocalypse, one day before the end. And if you read Ezekiel, look at what the very top says. Ezekiel sees in vision the wickedness and abominations of the people of who? Judah. Utah. Right? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Judah, you know. modern Judah in Salt Lake City. Right, right. now, now why why would I say that? Well, let's let's jump over here. And, um, oh, that's the wrong one. Okay. Before we dive into this, let, let sure. me, let, let me ask this question and, and, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit. Joseph seems to point out that, that Jerusalem in America is in Jackson County, right? The new Jerusalem is. The new Jerusalem. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, so to understand that, I would I would say let's go to Ether chapter 13. Let me get there real quick. Sorry to send you on a tangent there. No, that's okay. So let's go over to the Book of Mormon. Let's go to the Ether chapter 13. I, I've had people disagree with me on this. And while I appreciate their opinion, I just would reiterate that the Lord teaches and writes in fourth dimensional thought processes, yeah. not our third dimensional limited understanding ways. Okay, so Moroni jumps in for an editorial in the book of Ether. And he says that this land, choice above all other lands, is chosen. And all men who live here must serve the Lord. 
And then he says, it is the place of the new Jerusalem, which should come down out of heaven okay. and the holy sanctuary of the Lord. Okay, now, lest there's, let me see if I got to get a better view of my screen here. Lest we have some misunderstandings with that also, let's do this real quick. And we also want to take a look at the book of Revelation real quick. Because remember, it says the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven. I, I don't know what this is, okay? I'm not qualified to say this. I'm not saying this to tell other people they're wrong. There are some people who are so married to their view of what things are, they get offended if you say something different, okay? So, so for all those of you who get offended that you're not right, I, I'm not trying to prove you not right, okay? I, I'm just hypothesizing. And I'm sure that all those of you who have really strong opinions about your correctness are in fact correct because that's typically how it happens is that the prideful people who know they're right are, are right usually. So with that said, look at this, okay? Um, when, we, when we anticipate this new Jerusalem, I, I wonder sometimes if we have become idolatrous people. Right. Is, is not this in Revelation 21, the description of the holy Jerusalem, the great city descending out of heaven, Revelation 21.10, right there, right? Right. With a description of this city. And then look, verse 22, I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Why, I would ask, have, have we not become as the Jews who killed Christ and married ourselves to idols so badly that we do not recognize that the temple and the city are Jesus himself? You don't need a city once the Lord is there. Okay, so so America is the place where Christ himself will come down out of heaven and the holy sanctuary of the Lord, whatever that is. Okay, I don't care what form it takes. I believe. I don't care if he brings a wagon versus a giant city made of beautiful stones. I want to see him. Okay, now, why does that matter? Well, Ether saw this. He spake concerning this new Jerusalem, and he spake concerning the house of Israel and the Jerusalem from whence Lehi should come. That after the Jerusalem of Lehi would be destroyed, it would be built up again, a holy city unto the Lord. Wherefore it could not be a new Jerusalem, for it had been in a time of old, but it should be built up again and become a holy city. And that new Jerusalem should be built up upon this land unto the remnant of the seed of Joseph, for which thing <clears throat> there has been a type. Now, I'm going to skip the next verse. Go to verse 8. Wherefore, the remnant of the house of Jacob shall be built upon this land, and it shall be a land of their inheritance, and they shall build up a holy city like unto the Jerusalem of old. Look at verse 10. And then cometh 
the new Jerusalem. So what's the city built up upon this land that is like unto the city of Jerusalem of old? We need a capital city of the Lord, like Jerusalem. Okay. That is not the new Jerusalem. Okay. All right. No, that makes okay. sense. Yep. So when we compare that with the old, the symbolism of, of old times, okay, we need to find um, a city that is a capital city of the Lord. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to get this in in order so I can pull up the uh, other presentation that I have to show you the comparison between these two places. So we need to, let me do this real quick. And I would argue that that's Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. okay. No, that, um, that would make sense given those, those scriptures. I, I could, I could buy that. And, and I think I could show that actually, if we took some time to go to Revelation chapter 12 and Ezekiel 17, which, you know, maybe we don't, it's it's kind of up to you, but we, it would take a bit of time. And I don't know if you want to spend that much time on this rather than kind of jump into a, a look at uh, probably a more visual understanding of why Utah is truly the modern Southern kingdom of Judah. So I'm going to find that for you real quick. Give me a second, and then I'll share my screen again so we can take a look at that. And what would be really nice is if I could find the one where I have the earthquake map of Salt Lake City, because I think that's really... All right, can you see that? Yep. Now, I'm going to skip a lot of this. It's all really good. But I want to go into this concept of a type and shadow of the southern kingdom of Judah. And this is a... Uh, 1958 National Geographic magazine, uh, and the title of the article was um, Geographical Twins, A World Apart. This is the Jordan River in Utah, the Jordan River in Israel, Great Salt Lake, the Dead Sea, a comparison of the two places by map. Now, <laughs> you'll notice that the the one is inverted. The Salt Lake map is inverted right? for sake of comparison. But notice the two dead seas, the two freshwater lakes, both separated by a Jordan River with a city, a holy city or capital city to the north and to the east or yeah, to the north and to the east of the two bodies of salt water. Right. Now, if we compare not only the, the ge geography, but we compare the ancient kings of the southern kingdom of Judah, ours match up with theirs. And in fact, when we get to somebody like Ahaz, the son of Jotham, who lines up with Scott Matheson, we can go to Isaiah chapter 7, I think it is. I don't remember for sure where the Lord says, don't worry, within 65 years, Ephraim will not even be a nation, okay? So we just take 1977 plus 65, gets you to 2042, America will not even exist anymore, won't even be a nation. Mm. Now, does that seem consistent with everything we've been talking about and what's going on in the world today? 
Absolutely. For the for the yeah, for the first time we can conceive of America no longer being a nation because of what's going on in the world today. Not just uh on a on a political war scale but an economic scale as well. We get to Manasseh who was considered the most wicked of all the ancient southern kings of Judah who lines up with Mike Levitt who is the founder of the modern effort to regionalize Utah with World Economic Forum policies through Envision Utah, which is really the foundation of our economic and political destruction. That's the purpose of regionalism. Yep. Right. Regionalism was created back in the 1920s by people like um, Charles Merriam, the Brownlow Commission, to bring an end to America. They they state that as their purpose. And Mike Levitt is the guy who fully brought it into Utah. Now, Jehoahaz was a weak king of the southern kingdom of Judah who was so milquetoast that his masters in Egypt wanted him out. And so they brought to the southern kingdom of Judah their replacement, his brother, who would carry their water better, and his name was Jehoiakim. And between Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim, they laundered money from Egypt into their state and betrayed Babylon. And it was this betrayal that caused um, Babylon to get upset and to say, hey, uh, this isn't going to work. You pledge your allegiance to us or else. And, And this happens, believe it or not, okay, if I Go back to my presentation real quick. The Babylon comes in under Jehoiakim. And it's in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim that Babylon comes in and takes it over. Now look at that picture right there. Right. Do you know when that was adopted? When was the new flag of Utah adopted? Would have been 22, right? Right there. 2023. Okay. 2023 is, in fact, the third year of the reign of Spencer Cox, who compares with Jehoiakim, (laughs) just like it says in the Old Testament. All right. Now, why why would that matter? Well, what is the symbol of Babylon? What's their word? What's the word that is the description of Babylon? Is it pride? Yeah. The new symbol, the reason we adopted this new flag is to show people that we were dedicated now to pride. Since when is Utah... Mm a state of pride. Now, now that, I mean, the little things, right? Uh, you could say, right. oh, Morgan, you're seeing things where things aren't meant to be seen. Okay, well, let's let's go back here. Am I really? Am I the only one seeing things that aren't meant to be seen? No. Or have we done something, boy, that really seems to put us on the fast track to what? Sorry, let me go back here. The fast track to something. Well, what happens under the reign of 
Oh, shoot. What happens under the reign of Zedekiah? Let's see if I can find it. Sorry. No, you're just fine. Okay, there we go. What happens to the southern kingdom of Judah under the reign of Zedekiah? Babylon invades and kills the children of Zedekiah in front of him and pokes out Zedekiah's eyes with a hot poker. And and we're two kings away from that. That's that's how much time we have left. Again, people can look at this and disagree with me. I'm I'm okay with that. I I've been wrong a lot. But I am a believer in Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, modern prophets, the Book of Mormon, and boy we we just appear to be on a crash course for an end. Uh, for, if if you compare us with these ancient types. Now, in March of 2020, it just so happens to be the same year as COVID. On the day before the spring equinox, which signals the beginning of a new year, we had Moroni yep. literally drop his trumpet at the Salt Lake Temple. Now, there's a verse in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 112, that says, from my house shall it go forth. Right. You right. Remember, do you remember that one? Here it is right yep. here. From from my house shall it go forth, upon my house shall it begin. Well, what? Well, the day of wrath, the day of desolation. And if you study those terms, these are the synonyms of the desolation of abomination, as talked about in the Doctrine and Covenants. Where do we read about the desolation of abomination in the day of wrath? We read about that in Revelation chapter. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, into 18, to the fall of Babylon. So on the spring equinox, or the day before spring equinox, Moroni, who holds a trumpet, declaring that the gospel has been restored, drops that trumpet, and an earthquake hits Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, this is that earthquake, and these are the seismic monitoring devices across the United States, measuring that earthquake. Oh, you notice what it did? It just rippled out. Yeah, from my house, right? It shall go forth. Upon my house, it shall begin. What? The day of wrath, the day of desolation. So, you know, um, what's interesting is what happens shortly thereafter is that the church calls a solemn assembly and does a Hosanna shout at the sacred grove, reading a bicentennial proclamation that is symbolic of Moroni's trumpet. We declare the promised restoration goes forward through continuing revelation, right? So what's what's that comparable to? Well, let's just keep exploring the scriptures. Declare ye in Utah, publish in Salt Lake City, Blow Moroni's trumpet. Tell people to gather. Call a solemn assembly. You better go into your defense cities. Like who? Well, President Nelson got up in October of 2020 and told the women of the church they better prepare places of safety like Captain Moroni did. Set up your standard toward Zion. Where's that? Missouri. Retire. Stay not. It's not retire as in, you're 55, time to retire. 
It's get out of where you are. Do not stay there because the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. Well, the destroyer of the Gentiles is the Assyrian. And so we should expect, you know, if these are all prophetic signs, we should expect to see that the, Assyr uh, the Assyrian is in fact on his way. And, and I think that's what you're seeing. Now, I, I just realized for a second there, was I actually sharing all of that screen with you? You were. Okay, good. I thought so. I just couldn't, didn't know if I shut that off right. So, um, you know, what, what, what do you do with all that? Well, you know, that's kind of up to you um, what you do with that. Because I really do believe that when a person sees certain things happening around them, like, you know, maybe your ward or your stake is embracing things that you once thought were very wrong. Well, what do you do? You know, well, the Lord told you what to do. When you see these things come among you, flee. And I can't tell a person to flee. That's not my right in a patriarchal, matriarchal society. It, it all I can do is tell people what I see and be a witness of what I think is coming. And I'm telling you, it's over. It's game over. And it's it's not just game over and don't worry, you'll be okay if you repent. Okay. Morgan, this is you, Ezekiel. Morgan, can you just sure. tip your screen up a little bit? We're only seeing the bottom half there. Yeah, there you is go. that better? That's better. Yep. All right. Sorry. No, you're good. If if you if you take a look at Ezekiel, there's so um, I mean Ezekiel is just so fascinating. Yeah. Here, let's do let's he let me I'll I'll find it for you. It's it's easier to do on my um phone than it is on the gospel library online website because they have such poor search features there. Okay, there it is. It's Ezekiel 21. Uh, the Lord says, say to the land of Israel, um, which I would say is modern, uh, sure. the modern United, United States. Behold, I am against thee and will draw forth my sword out of its sheath and will cut off from thee the righteous and the wicked. Now that speaks to me in a way of the Gentiles, right? The The times of the Gentiles being fulfilled, once the Gentiles rise up in their fullness of wickedness, the Lord says, I will take the gospel from them and I will give it to the house of Israel. That's 3 Nephi 21. And then he says that all flesh may know that I, the Lord, have drawn forth my sword out of his sheath. It shall not return anymore. This is it. This is game over. You can repent, but the nation will not be spared because what we're leading up to in this moment is we're 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 seeing Joseph's prophetic stature and and these ancient prophets are pointing to the last days specifically DNC 876 which gives you the order of the end and in it the lord says here's that sword of Ezekiel thus with the sword and by bloodshed the inhabitants of the earth shall mourn famine plague, earthquake, thunder, lightning. Shall the inhabitants of the earth be made to feel the wrath 
and indignation and chastening hand of an almighty God until the consumption decreed have made a full end of all nations. So there we are, right? This is Joseph Smith placing us in context of ancient prophetic scriptures about our time saying, you can repent and you might be gathered out, but but the Lord's not going to spare anymore because his kingdom is coming and no nation can stand except under his banner and his kingdom. So what do you do with that? Well, let's Let's try to, you know, what I've always tried to do is get more and more specific. Look at verse 87, 6 again. Let me share my screen with you again real quick. Okay, and, and we look at right here, 87 verse 6. What is going to bring about the consumption decree to the full end of all nations? Well, it's going to be the wrath and indignation and the chastening hand. There's the Assyrian. The Assyrian is that left hand the right. iron rod that is not the iron rod, the scriptures, it's the rod that be beats you. And that chastening hand is going to consume um, and it's going to bring a full end of all nations. So watch this here. Let's go. We want to search for the abomination that maketh desolate. I think that's how it's put in the Doctrine and Covenants. No, that's not it. Anyway, you're gonna you if I, I think it might actually be DNC eighty eight. And give me one sec. Okay, so so what what it says in the Doctrine and Covenants is basically the abomination which maketh desolate, and then comma, and then it says uh the day of wrath, or or vice versa. It says the day of wrath, comma, the desolation of abomination, equating those two things together. If we if we get the message right that that they're trying to communicate, then we need to go and read about how does if okay let me make let me try to state this better if if we're in the day of wrath and the doctrine covenant says the day of wrath is the desolation of abomination, is there a place that we can go read about the wrath of God being poured out? And sure enough, we can. In Revelation chapter 15, we read about the great and marvelous um, plagues or signs that are the last plagues poured out by the seven angels. And in these vials is the wrath of God. So we go to the first vial. First angel pours out his vial. There fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast. Now, Revelation chapter 16 is a Greek translation, but it is written like the Book of Mormon is in 16th century English. Now, fortunately, Webster published a dictionary of mm -hmm. the English language at the same time Joseph Smith was translating the Book of Mormon. And the Book of Mormon, according to the study done by Royal Skousen, is in... 16th century English. So let's just take that. Um, tell me if you can't see me. I just moved my camera. I see you. Let's let let's take that uh, back over or those definitions from Revelation 16, and and let's look at those in light of 16th century English. So what did he say? Well, there's going to be a noisome sore. So let's go to Webster's. What is a sore? Well, a sore under Webster's 1828 dictionary actually has a scriptural definition. It means a grief or an affliction. 
So let's read it again. The first went out and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous affliction upon the men which had the mark of the beast. Well, what is noisome? Noisome means noxious to health, hurtful, mischievous, unwholesome, such as noisome winds or a noisome effluvia. What's an effluvia? It's a flu, okay? Or an excretion from the body that is not good for you. So what's the first vial? It is a flu-like affliction. Have you seen anything like that, COVID? Look at the second angel, poured out his vial. Okay, what is it, a vial? What, what is happening here, right? And this, this gets into some grammar. Something inside this vial is causing blood inside men to turn them to the blood of a dead man. So can we think of anything that followed a flu-like affliction where a poisonous substance in a vial, when it got into your bloodstream, turned your blood to the blood of a dead man? Yeah, it was the vaccine, right? I mean, the it, it was causing clots and all those other things. Okay. Now, so you see what's happening here. Again, let's pretend even for a second that that's not what those things mean. Okay. So even if it's not what I think it is, okay, how could a person who claims to be a follower of Christ and who is who is watching for the coming of the Lord not be attuned to these foreshadowing events if they're just foreshadowing? Because even the foreshadowing is given as a warning to the followers of the Lord. Right. So... So what? let's bring this back full circle to kind of how this conversation started. You know, how did you get to this point? Well, I kept going down these rabbit holes. And the, the further and further I went down, the more they proved themselves, the more the Bible and the scriptures were linking to each other in this fourth dimensional, impossible, linking process where words connected to each other and signs connected to each other. And it became this comprehensive whole pointing to the second coming of the Lord. And you get to that point, it's hard to deny it anymore. Right. Especially when you start seeing bullseyes, if you were on, on some of those, those, right. those revelations. Right. I mean, yeah, it makes sense to me. Can I can I show you one more thing real quick? I'm you, gonna I'm gonna yeah, share we got all the um, time in the world. Don't don't feel like you got to hurry. I, this is something my wife shared. I've never shared this with anybody before, and I'm kind of excited to share it. It's a it's a breakthrough my wife really had as we were talking about these signs, and we were talking about uh, how the Book of Mormon has started to align to our day. So I want to show you an event that happened. I thought I had it. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Um, so the um, when the Lord is about to start his final seven days, he goes to Palmyra. Uh, sorry, not Palmyra, to, to Jericho. Sorry. 
and Jericho means city of palms. Well, in the year 2000, we literally started our new millennium a year too early. Okay, I kid you not. Um, and there are time scientists, I could probably find them for you if I went online, uh, date and time, uh, new millennium 2000, where these time scientists mocked the world for starting the new millennium in the year 2000, okay? So this is not me. This is not an LDS interpretation. These, this is Constantine Bikos, Bikos, whoever that is, writing about how dumb the world was to celebrate the beginning of a new millennium one year too early. Okay, and he walks through all this, the time science of why we literally changed our new year incorrectly. Okay, well, in that same year, the LDS church, goes to a place called Palmyra, which means City of Palms. And on the eve of the dedication of the Palmyra Temple, if you had walked out onto the southern lawn, okay, um, on the night before, April 5th, 2004 p.m. in New York, you would have seen a very rare occurrence, okay? You'll see on the screen Saturn, Jupiter, be, right behind Jupiter is Mars, the moon, the sun, Venus, and Mercury. Now, in the Jewish Maseroth, the Lord is the sun, and these seven planets, including Earth, are the consorts of the sun, or the consorts of Jehovah. Seven women shall take hold of one man, Isaiah chapter 4. Right Here is this sign in the sky. So all the grand planets are aligned this night, which is highly unusual. And they're following the bridegroom down into his western chamber. And that's not all. By the way, look at the name of Jupiter, Zedek, as in Melchizedek or Melchizedek. And they'll follow it down as will every single constellation of the 12 constellations in the same night. Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpius, Sagittarius, Capricornus. And the sun will end in Pisces at 9 a.m. at the dedication of the Palmyra Temple. Now, we learn in Psalms that the heavens will declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. And that the 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 heavens, the stars, the moon, the sun, they utter speech. And this is scriptural speech. They show knowledge or scriptural knowledge, because just as the scriptures show us the future and the past and the present, so do the stars and the moon and the sun. And their line, which is the equatorial line, goes through all the earth. And this is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. He comes out of the east. He goes along the equatorial line. He goes from one end of the heaven to the other. And the purpose of this is verse 11, that by this are the servants of the Lord warned. Mm. Well, and and the, the message here, which Joseph will communicate throughout the doctrine covenants, is these signs are to prepare the way of the Lord to teach us to make ready for the bridegroom. 
Okay, I'm not going to go through all that. Um, but did we hear them, right? In 2000, we changed the reckoning of our time, literally, and we see this amazing sign in the heavens. And and what? why would that matter? Well, I'm not going to go into that one. Let's go back to the Book of Mormon. Here, here's why this matters. The, the people of the Book of Mormon do the same thing. They are told by Samuel the Lamanite that they will see a sign in the heavens. And when they see that sign in the heavens, I think it's 3rd Nephi chapter 2, they will change the reckoning of their time just like we did. And they will, from that time forward, begin to count by a new calendar. So, so we change our reckoning of time. The Nephites change their reckoning of time. And, and watch what begins to happen. Our first year of our new millennium is the year 2000. So what would that make 2001? Instead of being the first year of the new millennium, like it should have been, it now becomes the second year of the new millennium because we changed yeah. the reckoning of our time. So third Nephi chapter four, the latter end of the 18th year. For us, our 18th year was 2017. Is there anything that happened in 2017 that caused the Gadiant robbers of the world to prepare for battle, to come down and to sally forth and begin to take possession of what they considered was theirs? Donald Trump is elected, yep. 2017. By 2020, which would be the 21st year of our new millennium. Or 2020. In... Yeah. 2020, right. Did the Gadiant robbers lay siege to the world and cut us all off from our lands, hem us in on every side, and did they cut us off from our outward privileges? To try Holy to get cow. the world yeah. to yield the, the, itself the up. The pandemic, the lockdown, martial law, the whole yes. thing. Okay, now the Book of Mormon tells us how long this will last. And it tells us what happens in between. It connects itself to the Book of John. I'll show you how to do that real quick. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of blaze past this. Mormon is not going to tell us what happens in the 23rd year, 24th year, and 25th year. He's going to skip over them. So that would be our 2022, 2023, and 2024. And all he's going to say is that there are great and marvelous things. Now, you can read about those great and marvelous things in the book of Revelation, where the vials begin to be poured out with the wrath of God. Now, Mormon will say, in the 26th year, 2025, this COVID siege or the Gadianton siege will come to an end and things will return to normal. Now watch what he says next. This is what my wife saw. And it was so awesome because I've wondered about this. Okay. They began to prosper. They formed their laws better, maybe, according to equity and justice. I'm not sure if that's a good thing. That could be social justice and right. DEI laws. 
but there is nothing to hinder them from prospering. Okay. Now, there is great peace. What are all the Latter-day Saints and Christians going to do if we go back into peace and prosperity? They're going to forget about all of these hardships that we have endured, that we have yes. very short memories, right? I, I Just as an example, I remember after 9-11, man, we, we all rallied, right? I mean, yeah, we all rallied for about two weeks and then right. it was back to the way we were. Yes. I agree. Okay, now now watch this. We're going to use a little Webster's Dictionary here to help us. And look at what comes next. There were many cities built anew. And there were many old cities repaired. You ever heard of a 15-minute city? Oh, yeah. I've I've had, uh, there's a woman named Chelsea Hope I've had on the podcast yes. five times. She's, she's a rock she's star. She's so, so smart. And she has it down. Look at what anew means. Over again, another time in a new form. Are we not getting ready to build our cities in new forms? To cast up new highways and roads between these 15-minute cities, interconnected, technocratic yep. cities? Are we not doing it from land to land and from place to place? And who is the sponsor of this effort? It's the it's... the World Economic Forum, right? Or or the New World Order or the beast that is combined under the devil. Hmm. Well, if we do that after being given our prosperity and peace back, is the Lord going to stand for it? No. No. And because of this, look what he will do. There will become a great inequality in the land, insomuch that the church will be broken up in the 30th year. Okay? Now, that's our 2029. That's our 30th year. Anything predicted to happen in 2029? The Great Reset. Yep. Right? That's the time of the Great Reset. Exactly where the Book of Mormon predicts that it will be. And once the government of the United States and the world sets itself against the church of the Lord, right? And I would I would add to that there are saved two churches only. Right. Okay. The Lamb, the Church of the Lamb and the Church of the Devil. And what's going to happen at that point is when the church is broken apart, why would the Lord preserve the government of the land? He will not. And in the 30th year, they divide against each other and they destroy the government of the land. Now, following this, they will go into three years of tribalism, anarchy, secret combinations, wars against each other. It's basically a scene of you either get into a tribe or you're in a state of constant civil war. Think John Taylor's vision right. in Wilford Woodruff's journal. Now, the Book of Mormon tells us that in the... 30 and third year, or sorry, at the end of the 30 and third year, because it's passed away. See verse two, it's over. Then on the 30 and fourth year, which would be our 2033, in the first month, which would probably be April, on the fourth day, which would be Passover, there arose a great storm, 
such an one as never had been known in all the land, and there was a great and terrible tempest. Now, this is us. Right? And if, if, a, if a person who believes in the Book of Mormon does not believe that this is prophesying our future, just go read 2 Nephi chapter 6 carefully and Isaiah relative to 2 Nephi chapter 6. And Jacob very clearly says, this is us. So it's almost like the Book of Mormon truly is the most correct of any book on earth and has specifically laid out our destiny as a nation and as a people. Now look what happens to Zarahemla. Did take fire. Okay, Zara, princess or seed. He is the breath of God. And Mala is the city of salt. So Zara Hemala is the salt city of the daughters of the breath of God. You put all that together and basically it is the capital city of the Lord's people. Salt Lake City. And so what do we do about that? Well, you follow 3rd Nephi through to its end relative to the nation that is destroyed. And it tells you about all the different cities that are sunk and destroyed. And it says soon after, in the ending of the 30 and 4th year, which would be our end of 2033, Christ appears to the Nephites at a place called Bountiful. A great multitude gathers together at Bountiful round about the temple, marveling and wondering at the great and marvelous changes that have taken place. Now, what's interesting about that word bountiful is bountiful is one of the only place names in the Book of Mormon that appears in the English language. The only other one is um, desolation, right? Painting a contrast between one of two choices. You can choose bountiful or you can choose desolation. Now, in 1 Nephi 17, we learn why the name bountiful is what it is in the Book of Mormon. It says it came to pass, I, Nephi, had been the land bountiful. Okay, why did, why did you call it bountiful, Nephi? Well, let's see, where does he say it? I called it bountiful right there. We did come to the land which we called bountiful because of its much fruit and wild honey. Well, what is the original Hebrew place of much fruit? I would argue it's the Garden of Eden. But we have a second element in this definition. It must also be a place of wild honey, which is a promised land. So we need a place where there is the Garden of Eden in a promised land. And we can find that in Missouri. And we know that from the Doctrine and Covenants. <clears throat> so, so what is... What is Mormon, as the editor, trying to teach us in 3 Nephi chapter 11 by basically saying these people had somewhere between six months and a year after these great destructions to get to the right place they needed to be to see the Lord? Well, and, and not, now if you can comprehend that, what does he also do? He also gives us a prep to know what you should be doing about 10 years out from that, because right? We, if, if the Book of Mormon is a pattern for our day, right. we see three years of chaos preceded by um, about a year of total falling apart, breaking apart of the church and the government. And prior to that, your last moment of time 
in which to get prepared, which should cause a person, I believe, to think of Matthew 24. If you have waited till the very last second, more than likely the Lord will still help you, but you will be jumping from a building, running without a shirt on your back, because that's how suddenly all of this is going to come upon us. Hmm. So my choice is don't wait for that. My choice is get prepared. Do what, uh, you know, read Ab between the lines, get personal revelation, get ready. Absolutely. Even like if you wait to the last minute, like you said, you can save yourself, maybe your family. And that's great. But I would make the contention that we're meant for more than that. If we bear the priesthood as men, and I think a case can be made, it's born within conjunction with our wives when we go to the temple. We're meant for more than that. We're meant to help show people out. So if you prepare now, that gives us an opportunity to serve in a very profound way when the bad right. times hit. And, and right. I believe that that's our calling as Mormons. Look, I'm a fundamentalist. You're a mainstreamer. I don't think the, the, the mandate changes. We have a solemn commission by the Lord to be those people to show the way out. And if we fail at that, I really feel like we have not only done ourselves an injustice, but we've done an injustice to those around us whom we could have helped. Yeah. And, and so this time that we're talking about, you know, yeah, okay, so maybe we got, you know, 25 years, whatever it is, right? I guess not that long. I guess we're in 2024 now, six years, right? Prepare now, wherever that is, prepare now. Um, because not only will you and your family be prepared, but you'll be in a better position to help others. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't, um, one of the key turning points kind of for me and my testimony of the gospel and of scripture and of Christ was I had to acknowledge to myself that I, I am not an Abraham. I'm not a Moses. I'm not a Joseph. I have not seen what those men saw, but I want to believe it. Right. I want to, I, I like it. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love what he stands for. And even if he wasn't real, I still will believe in him and want to, because it is the greatest thing I have ever come across in my life. And that in and of itself became a witness to me. And so I, I stand on the precipice of what I think is the second coming of Christ. And I love it. I, I, all I want to do is prepare. And every time I get sidetracked, I regret it. Yeah. Because this is the most meaningful pursuit I've ever been involved in, yep. is preparing for his coming. Yep, absolutely. And and here's here's the thing. If this is the time, right, and the jury's still out, we'll know in six years. But if if that's the case, um, we have a tremendous amount of work in front of us. No matter what, no matter what part of Mormonism you're in. There's there's a lot of work ahead of us, and we better we better figure out real fast 
how to listen to the spirit, we better figure out yeah. real fast how to talk its language. Because if we don't, we'll be left to our own devices. Um, yeah. And and I would say this, almost everybody that I've talked to, <laughs> not just on the podcast, but off, whether they're mainstream LDS, whether they're a fundamentalist, whatever the case is, we all have the same feeling. We are hurtling towards an event. Um, yeah. And and I love the way the scriptures compare the last days to a woman in labor, right? Um, those contractions start far apart, and they're not very strong. But towards the end, we'll start seeing those contractions, so to speak, be stronger and closer together. And it's going to feel like your whole world is falling out from under you. Now, I, I agree with you so much on this, uh, Morgan, is, is that now we have got to prepare. Now is that time. If we're waiting for it to get easier, it's not happening, right? I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's not getting any sunnier from here for a little while. The good news is, is that if you're listening to guys like Morgan and, and you're searching the scriptures, right? And I, I also want to reemphasize, don't take what I say as gospel. Don't take what Morgan says as gospel. Go study this stuff out for yourself and figure it out. But if you're feeling that way, it's for a reason. And chances are you have a divine commission to fulfill. And now is the time to get going. Yeah, is there a, is there more a more divine calling than that of father or mother? No. And what I what I tell my family is we will regret every single minute we do not spend preparing for the coming of the Lord. Absolutely. It is the most valuable endeavor you could be involved in. Absolutely. Um, I was debating on when I would make this announcement. And I think now's as good a time as any after hearing this. Back in September, for those who listen to the podcast regularly, uh, me and my family took a trip out to Nauvoo, Carthage, and then Missouri. And got to meet a lot of very cool people. A lot of very spiritual people. And there is uh, folks out there who I feel like they know what time it is. Um, for, for those who are my regular listeners, um, my life is about to change in, in a pretty dramatic way. Um, and today is, um, what's today? What's today's date? Today is the 30th. And, um, in just about 14 days, me and my family are packing up and we're moving to Missouri. Now, the reason I make this announcement here isn't for the sake of me just saying I'm moving to Missouri. What I'm saying here is that we all have to be able to um, figure out where it is the Lord wants us. Um, Morgan brought up something very, inter you know, said something very interesting. He says, what does this mean? What are you supposed to do? And he said, I don't know. And guess what? I don't know either. That's something you have to figure out. If the Lord tells you 
to stay in downtown Salt Lake, and you're sure that's what he's telling you, then that's the safest place for you to be. The end will be fine. But you have to figure out where it is the Lord wants you and then go. Now, I understand we all have jobs. We all have um, responsibilities. We've all built a life in wherever we're at. But just like Lehi, just like Abraham, sometimes we have to leave our comforts and go wherever it is the Lord tells you to go and be planted there. Because chances, and, and you're not going just for you, right? So often we have this idea, we're just going to go to where the Lord tells us to for safety. That may not be it. Your role might be to lead somebody out of the darkness. And so you have to have your lamps full, you have to be prepared, and you have to do that. And, and I feel like now is the time. If the Lord is telling you it is time to move, then move. If the Lord's telling you to stay, then stay. But make no doubt, the Lord at this moment is moving chess pieces on the board. And you had better heed that call, because if not, disaster follows. I'm not a prophet. I don't pretend to be a prophet. Furthermore, I'm too lazy to be a prophet. That sounds like a lot of work. And I have a lot of other things I'd like to do. But you had better start figuring out how to hear the Lord's voice and start understanding what it is he's asking you to do. Amen. Morgan, that was awesome stuff. Is there anything that we didn't hit that you wanted to hit? Now that I can think of. I mean, if I do, I'll, I'll, I'll message in. We'll get back on. Dude, yeah. And, and I tell everybody this, and I really mean it. Once you've been on the podcast once, you have a standing invitation to come back on anytime you want. So if you discover something new, hit me up. We'll get you right back on. We, you know, I'm, I'm, I got pretty quick turnaround time. We can get you going pretty quick. So again, you got a standing invitation. Um, awesome. Thanks for, for those having me. Who joined live. I, I appreciate you doing it. It's the first time I, I've done something like that. I think we're up to 35, 36 people on here. So uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening. Scope out the podcast if you'd like. Um, Ooh, there's a question. You want to feel the question? Um, sure. Sorry. Yeah, I, I was muted. You bet. Uh, how does the beast fit with the Book of Mormon Third Nephi timetable? So, um, there is only one person who, from what I can tell, has the right to um, trump. That's maybe that's not the right word to use. Trump the limitation on intruding into John the Revelator's territory, and that is the Lord himself. So as we look at the beast, the beast is put down by the coming of the Lord. And so when we get into the Book of Mormon, um, and I'll show you how the connection is. Let me, let me get to that point. I'll share my screen again in just a sec. All right, we're going to go to 3rd Nephi. And the Book of Mormon doesn't really present to us a lot of apocalyptic imagery. It gives us very literal imagery. And about the only place where you find something similar to apocalyptic imagery is the symbolic imagery of the Tree of Life or the parable of the vineyard. 
But other than that, it's very literal. And so when we go into 3 Nephi chapter 6 and we look for that beast, you really have to find the beast in these literal manifestations. Another one is going to be Ether chapter 8. Well, maybe I should go to Ether chapter 8 first and then come back. So, so what does the beast look like in our day so we can see it in our day and see it relative to the coming of the Lord? Here it is right here. Ether chapter 8, verse 16, they, secret combinations, the beast, is kept up by the power of the devil, the dragon, to administer the oaths of the dragon and the beast to us, the people. They do that through public schools. They do that through public colleges. They do it through media, through entertainment. And the purpose of this machine, this beast, is to keep us in darkness and our county governments, our city governments, our state governments, our national governments are facilitated, Ether 816, they are facilitated and made for people who seek power to gain power, to murder, to plunder, to lie, and to commit all manner of wickedness and whoredoms, which is why the good people who go into county, city, state, national government don't do very well. It's why your city officials are not very good at overturning stupid laws, because the system itself is built to make it so difficult for them that they'd rather leave than stay in. On the other hand, the system, you know, when you get congressmen who want to cheat and steal money out of the stock market by insider trading, well, that's that's what it's built for. When you have uh, state elected officials and county and city officials who really want to enforce their beliefs on you through building codes, that's what it's built for. And those people have a really easy time exercising the power of the beast. So we go back to Third Nephi chapter uh, 6 and 7, where we're going to see the falling apart. And what happens is Boy, I could even go into the New Testament, but I, I can't. I got I to gotta run here pretty quick. But the, the final end of our nation is when the people know the will of God, because we've just had it shown to us through the COVID debacle and through the WEF and through 15-minute cities and through foolish regional policies that overturn constitutional restraints on power, then... When we willfully rebel, then we're going to have the chief judges, the high priests, the lawyers get angry with the men who try to call attention to this. That's 35, 620, men inspired from heaven, standing forth, telling the people of the wickedness very plainly. And the lawyers and the judges and the high priests will enter into the combination of the devil. Uh, they will seek to put to death secretly anybody they can. They will... Uh, try to put the prophets to death, verse 25, and they will enter into a covenant one with another, yea, even into that covenant which was given by them of old, which covenant was administered by the devil to combine against all righteousness. And this is what, this is the beast right here. It will manifest itself in the tearing down of churches. It will manifest itself in the destruction of the government, and it will be run by a singular figure in America named Jacob. Now, Jacob is 
unconverted Israel. His name means the supplanter. Jacob, who is an antichrist, will attempt to seize power over the nation. Now, I'm not saying his name is actually going to be Jacob, okay? But he will form a city. I'm not saying it's a literal city in his own similitude called Jacobugath, and they will not succeed, but they will succeed in bringing down the church um, as a corporation and as a 501c3 and taking the property, and all that will be left are the keys. And in that time, that that beast will basically send the world and America into a frenzy until finally the Lord brings about the destruction of the beast by great cataclysmic events that will bring Babylon down in one day, quite literally, in similitude of Revelation chapter 18, which which as a sign was given to us on 9-11 in 2001. So just, just study 9-11 and compare it with Revelation 18, and, and that's how the Lord brings down the beast. And only the people who have, and I'll show you the word here, if I can pull it up, who have taken the scriptures as their guide and the Holy Ghost as their guide. Let's go to the Old Testament, Jeremiah 23. We're going to pull do a little... Bible hub search here as well to help us in Jeremiah 23. So we're going to want to look at this from a Hebrew and chiasmus perspective. Okay, see verse three, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries whither I have been driven and will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful, there's bountiful, and the promised land and increase. So Jeremiah 23, three. And when I saw this word in Hebrew, it just blew me away. Okay, I will gather the remnant out of all countries, whether I've driven them, and bring them back to their folds. There's the word right there, nawahen. And nawahen is actually plural for the word navu. So you see the <laughs> chiasmus. As God brought them out of Missouri, the place of Zion, the city of New Jerusalem, as he brought them out to Nauvoo, so he will bring them out back to their Nauvoo's prior to bringing them back into Missouri, the New Jerusalem, Zion, Adam on Diamond. So as the beast comes down, as the Jacob manifests himself, building up the Jacobugath, in similitude of the covenant made in Ether chapter 8 and, and, and 3 Nephi chapter uh, 6, you, in my opinion, you need to get out. And you need to get to your fold that God has prepared for you so that when 3 Nephi 8 happens, which is that cataclysmic destruction, you will have a promise of the Lord to be safe where he has led you to, and you will not fall victim to a Zarahemla taking fire or a Moroni sinking into the depths of the sea or Moroni Ha becoming a mountain where there was, or a, 
the earth being carried upon Moroni, and now you live under a mountain, or you're dead under a mountain, in addition to all the notable cities that will be sunk in our day ahead. So the beast is destroyed in 3 Nephi 8 to 10 by the Lord's cataclysmic events, and his people are safe in their folds. That's awesome. I got okay. one. I know you got to run, but I got one more question sure. that I, I want to get to. Um, be and, and I want to chime in on this one after you do, because I have I have some pretty strong feelings on this one. This one says, um, the Book of Mormon timeline may tell us, perhaps, that we may prosper for a few years leading up to 2029. We covered that, before the church is broken apart. Ezra's Eagle seems to indicate things getting crazy after the election. What are your thoughts on these two seemingly different scenarios? Um, one, I don't think they're different. I think Ezra's Eagle is greatly misunderstood. And I'll tell you why, because Michael Rush did an amazing job laying the foundation for an understanding of Ezra's eagle. And he will admittedly say he doesn't know how it will unfold. But what has happened is everybody took that original interpretation and created mythologies around it. And we need to peel away those mythologies and study it in the spirit. And when you do that, instead of looking at the Ezra's eagle's heads as a destroying force of God's people, I see them more like a destroying force against the wicked, kind of like the Assyrian. And what happens is the righteous prosper in this time of upheaval because you have these two conflicting powers, whether they be Republican, Democrat, right head, left head, going against each other so hard that underneath are the people of God kind of sneaking out and taking the prosperity, the droppings of war, and just sneaking out to their special places. So for the wicked, it's horrible. For the righteous, it's amazing. Okay. I, I kind of thought maybe he was going down a different different road there, but it's something I feel like is still worth saying. I thought he was saying, what's your thoughts on the different scenarios of you know, who gets elected or whatever? I would say stop playing that game altogether. Don't, you know, definitely vote, right? Make sure that you're you're casting your vote for someone you feel good about. But stop looking for a political savior. Um Donald Trump might might be the 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 better choice. He might not be. I don't know. But at the end of the day, I think we have to remember that the whole reason a lot of people didn't accept Jesus the first time around was they were looking for a political savior. They were looking for somebody to make right all the wrongs that they had suffered under Rome. And we can't be thinking about it in those terms. Um, we need to be playing a different game in order to get to where we want to be. You know, the one thing I have learned about my interpretation of all this is I'm always wrong. Right. And, right. and, yet, and yet by being prepared to see it, I'm able to then see how the Lord miraculously brings it to pass. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. That's way better than I had planned it. <laughs> right, right. Pinning the, the the old game of pinning the tail on the apocalypse is very, uh, very not very yeah. often a winning game, right? Um, 
this you know these these are conjectures right um as far as what year and that sort of thing we we can certainly have our our thoughts on that and i think that's a good exercise i i want to make it clear that 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 allows us to put our heads on a swivel so to speak and be able to look around and take in the entire landscape both religiously and geopolitically and um be able to to really get a good feel for what's going on but I, whether you know it's 2029 20, 30, whatever it is I, I think we can all agree that that the general trend on which we're trending is one in which trouble is on the horizon and being in tune with the spirit is is there so all right uh, morgan's got to run so thanks everybody uh thanks for coming in uh listening live if you did check out the podcast um for those of of who who are you know active lds folks inevitably there'll be stuff on there you like there's stuff that you won't use your discretion listen but i talked to plenty of mainstream lds people as well as fundamentalists um check it out mormonrenegade.com it's got the full list i think there's like 117 episodes up there now um but anyway morgan Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate you being here. And again, as you come up with new stuff, hit me up because I'd love to talk to you. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Dave. All right. Take care. Bye, everybody. Want to get more out of listening to the Mormon Renegade podcast? Then go to the Mormon Renegade Patreon page or click the link in this episode's show notes for access to one of three packages. For $3 a month, slightly rowdy option will give you access to ad-free audio. Still not enough? Then for $6 a month, sign up for the String It Up option, which gives you ad-free audio and video as well as transcripts. Finally, for those who really want to get crazy, sign up for the $12 a month full Renegade option, which will give everything in the previous two plans plus access to a weekly news program which will break down the news of the day from a Mormon point of view as well as access to a community page where you can talk about all things Mormon in private. Go to the Mormon Renegade Patreon page or click the link in this episode's show notes and sign up today. Yes. Yeah.